0: Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who's going to drink till he gets his fill. And I hope when I get old, well, let's let's be honest. We're going to sit around and think about all of our glory days. And there's n- fewer people than, uh, than I would want to recall those glory days with than my co-host from the left coast. Here's my bud, Wayne Fugate.
1: Hola Ben I Amin. Mean.
0: So, for this episode, we have a special guest who was a collective. Yeah, man, you need to have that cat on. Uh, that was th- the collective referral of the two Andrews from our Hypnotic Eye episode, uh, Mr. Tom Petty. His most recent record. Well, d- I, I guess maybe I, I usually queue up the most recent record, but is Lifers your most recent record, John? It is. Okay. So please welcome to the podcast, welcome musician John Latham.
2: Thank you very much. Happy to be here, gentlemen. That was
0: one of the worst intros I think that I've ever done.
2: Um, <laughs> it's one of the best I've ever gotten, so you're fine. Okay, okay. all right.
3: <laughs> I, uh,
0: I, I, put, I put some notes together very last minute, and you can tell, um, yeah, I didn't do a whole lot of note-taking for... Um, for uh for this i i saved all my notes for the album that we're going to talk about so i hope you don't mind about
2: oh, that not, a, not at all man i mean i played gigs where somebody was like please welcome to the stage and then they whisper to me what's your name again uh doug Sorry. doug uh latham <laughs> doug latham <laughs> yeah john right. latham john latham so happy to have you <laughs>
0: All right. well, premise of our podcast, fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each podcast, I ask the all-important question. Uh, Let's start with you, Wayne. What t-shirt are you wearing?
1: You know what? This record has so many songs about working on highways and roads uh, and some gigs paid and some unpaid that I wore my company's nice safety yellow uh, high-vis shirt. Like you would see on the highway, maybe turning a sign that said "Stop, Slow, and Stop,"
0: the or the ones that say um, "Slow Down, Penitentiary Workers Ahead."
1: Well, yeah, yeah. They I don't know if they get yellow shirts. I think theirs are orange jumpsuits. But okay, all right. Uh, either way.
0: All right, John. How about you? What t-shirt are you wearing?
2: Well, today I'm wearing a uh, tragically hip t-shirt. It's a uh, nice. We- Blue shirt with a big H and a big P, and in the middle is the silhouette of the late, great Gord Downey for the I. And um, in uh, in commemoration of one, that this was the first t shirt that I picked up today, but also, uh, you know, they t- the, the hip got back together and collaborated with singer Feist and performed uh, It's a Good Life If You Don't Weaken at the Juno Awards just a couple nights ago. And uh,
0: I did not see that. I'm big Feist fan. Love her. It's
2: it's on YouTube. It's a beautiful performance. It was great to see all the guys in the hip playing again. So, uh, I love, I love the hip. I love Gord Downey. And so he's kind of the Springsteen of Canada as best I can figure. So why not wear that shirt?
0: Very good. Very good. All right. Well, I'm wearing a shirt that I wore just a couple episodes ago, but, um, I wore it for the George Harrison episode, and after Wayne told me he's not going to listen to it because <laughs> it's it's super long because we talk about eighteen songs. Um, so so I so I know that he's not going to uh, he's not going to listen to that. So I'm I'm wearing a T-shirt that he bought me recently, the uh, Johnny Cupcakes Fleetwood Snacks
4: t-shirt
2: that's love right there that's friendship and that's what this record's all about
0: (laughs) there's a lot of friendship going on in this this particular one yep um all right so so wayne here the joke is on you though as always because you because you said i don't i don't want to score a album that is 18 songs long I just got in about an hour ago. Dan Mills has picked "Vampire Weekend's Father of the Bride" as his album that he wants to discuss. And guess how many? Uh, guess how many songs are on that? Eighteen. Eighteen. So.
2: Eighteen, and you don't want to even score them. <laughs>
0: Yes, there you go. Sebastian Bach would be so proud of that uh uh parody right there, John. All right. Um, <laughs> all right, well let's 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 chat for a few minutes. Um so so John, you've got you've got friends and Andrew Leahy and and Andrew Nelson of of Great Peacock. Mm-hmm. Um when I had them on for the uh Tom Petty episode, they both said, Yeah, you need to you need to have John on. So I'm assuming there is a certain level of music nerdery that is, uh, that, that we all share. Is that accurate?
2: Um, well, I said in the tweet leading up, yeah, my whole life has been focused on music and it's my parents' fault. They, they, they raised me on MTV and all that stuff, but it goes even further with this particular episode in question. Um, because, uh, Bruce Springsteen, uh, beyond anything else, is, I mean, there is documented proof, whether you want to believe it or not. You can talk to my dad about it. There's a tape somewhere. Bruce was my first word, because in my nursery, there was a, you know, you had like the the crib with like the mobile and the Paddington Bear quilt up on the wall. But on the other side of the wall was a big poster. Of the uh, the river album cover uh because i was born in 83 and he just he taught me how to say uh, bruce and parker because on the other side of the wall was a p- uh, poster of graham parker who's another big uh hero of mine and um okay. so those were my first two words um so springsteen has springsteen's music is in my dna and i've been collecting records and shopping for records with my dad and other folks uh, since I was a kid, we go, you know, in Atlanta. We had, I grew up in Atlanta. We had the uh, Turtles record chain down there, and um, we've got great record stores here in Nashville. And you know, I probably could have really made something of myself after high school if I hadn't just blown all my money on CDs and records over the years. But alas, here we are. So yes. yeah, I've 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 got I've got the bug. So I'm one of you. You're one of me. We're all in this together.
0: Fantastic! Yeah, I was listening to Lifers uh a few days ago again, mm-hmm. and you, you mentioned that you're part of that MTV generation, even though you know you're born around the time that MTV was uh, you know exploding. But you've got a song on there, "Kimberly Met Billy," where where you drop all sorts of different uh, MTV generation artists like Corey Hart and Billy Idol and. Um, they met at an eddie money concert yes so <laughs> l- i love i love all the references
3: Rhodes, v, rocking out to crazy train revving the engine of his car with a weakness for any girl who dressed just like pat benatar Kimberly hung the pictures on her wall so carefully Each one the perfect fixture of the boys on MTV Diamond Dave would watch the clock Rick Springfield would watch her sway Corey Hart looked out the window While Billy Idol sneered away but Kimberly met Billy Leaning on the back of his beat-up Chevy at the 1987 Eddie Money Summer Tour It was love at first sight As they sang, take me home tonight And eight months and three weeks later where well, you, my love, were born
0: And, and that's probably I was going to save this until later, but let's just get into it. I, that's probably the most Bruce type of song on that album because it's 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 more story where yeah you know, and that's where Bruce i think really excels is the 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 story songs
2: yeah I, I i would say that it's it's kind of twofold i think i think his 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 two aces up his sleeve are the story songs and the songs where you can tell that there's a lot of him in them you know yeah um, as time has gone on and especially in his memoirs and the Broadway show and stuff he's opened up more about where the line between reality and fiction was drawn but there's always a bit of his character and him and and experiences from his life that that have kind of where where there's story songs there's other songs where you can tell it came from either you know elaborating on vague memories or speaking basically in the voice of his father and the life of his father. Um, And those two particular ways of writing for for him are second to none. Nobody can really kind of touch that. And I've tried in my feeble way to try and tap into that for myself. A lot of my songs um, are based, uh, a lot of them are based around uh, things that I, experienced and Kimberly Billy is kind of an oddball one um, I co-wrote that one with my friend Darren Bradbury and actually the story is slightly based on a true story of some people he knew back up in New Jersey so okay. I just kind of elaborated on some of the stuff that he told me and and I threw in there uh, just all the all the memories of what I remember from being a very young kid and being very interested in music very early around 1986 and 87 and that's those are the things that i remember you know yeah 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 but high compliment if you think that i was able to ch- to tap into some of that bruce stuff though like that's that's everything i try to do
0: <laughs> I, I i did and and um i was listening i was listening to i'm trying to remember which song it was now that you brought up graham parker mm-hmm. Are, are you influenced by, by his way of, of, of doing things as well?
2: Oh, certainly. Um, and there is some of that on that record too. I would say probably the one that I would say is probably the most Graham Parker ish on that, on that particular record, uh, is probably at least for me is probably the kickoff track last in line. Okay. Because
0: yeah. I was going to say it's closing time felt, a little oh, parker-esque as well well
2: say it's closing time i would say it's kind of like uh, especially latter-day parker um when he started um he started doing records on bloodshot um about the turn of the 2000s and yeah. uh those, those records especially the your country record was uh but he kind of started delving into more of like his country western sensibilities um But some of his earlier uh, kind of more acoustic stuff, there's a great ballad on Squeezing Out Sparks called You Can't Be Too Strong, which I would definitely say probably came out in that. But the stuff that that Parker really influenced me on was all, you know, Squeezing Out Sparks is a great example, but all the records he did with that band, The Rumor, uh, are all, you know, he was the angry young man before there was even an Elvis Costello. And I think uh, he was even angrier because I think he was even – even to this day, he was—he's more cynical, and uh, you know, he's—he's he's got some piss in him just from the get go, and uh, yeah. So there, that's definitely been a huge influence on me. Just because those two were huge for me, just because they were there from basically birth, and yeah. so that's kind of the genesis of everything that I looked for in rock and roll, and everything I've tried to do in rock and roll. So,
0: and I feel like he is—he's kind of kept that piss and vinegar. It's just, it's a little different. It's not punkish. It's maybe it's morphed into old man. I mean, I'm I'm thinking Mona Lisa's sister, which is just a mm-hmm. I love that record, mas- masterpiece.
2: That was the one with the uh, get started, start a fire on it. I think was that. Am I thinking of the yes. right record? Yeah, yeah.
0: that's I, I. Yeah, I think that's the one.
4: Yeah.
2: yeah, and even even the later stuff. There was an album after your country called Don't Tell Columbus. And uh, he, when he got back together with The Rumor uh, just a few years ago, they did a couple records together, uh, one of them called Three Chords Good. And a lot of it, you can tell, is just like some of that angry piss and vinegar went from being the uh, the angry, disenfranchised young man to the more kind of cynical, resentful old man. But it still works. It still absolutely works.
0: I'm looking at that right now. I don't think I've listened to that one. All right, I'm writing this down. We got a, three chords good.
2: Yeah, and then they did one more record together after that called Mystery Glue that swings even more. It sounds like old school pub rock rumor. It's amazing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, Wayne, did you did you catch the Grant Parker interview that our buddy John Lamero did recently? Oh, uh, no, I did not. He's had a nice run. I I kind of hate him right now. <laughs>
2: I got to meet Graham one time. He did a he did an in-the-radio thing at, here in Nashville, and a friend of mine who was doing that show let me sit in just because he was kind of like – he knew some stuff about Graham, and he wanted to interview him, but he knew that I could come in with, like, some deep questions. So I was just feeding right. him questions, keeping my <laughs> mouth shut. But at the very end, I just was like – I had to just go to Graham. The best I could ask was just for a picture. Like, I, I couldn't even tell him how much I loved him, but
4: yeah. it
2: was – a. That was that was a that was as good as meeting Springsteen for me, to be quite honest.
0: Very cool, very cool. All right, so you mentioned that you grew up in in Georgia. What part of what part of Atlanta?
2: Uh, the northern suburbs, Kennesaw, Georgia, to be exact. I spent most okay. of my life there, and then I moved to Nashville about eight years ago from
0: Kennesaw. All right, you a Braves fan?
2: Oh yeah, uh, even especially when we lose. You know, it's great to great to follow mediocre sports teams. All
0: right. I always have to ask people from from Atlanta because then I can go, hey, you, did you know that I had Dale Murphy on my podcast?
2: <laughs> did you really have <laughs> Dale Murphy on your podcast?
0: We, we did. We did. He um, we, we chatted about Wilco's Ghost is Born. No. Get the I, hell out I, of Yankee here. Hotel Foxtrot. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Yeah, that's right.
2: No, the Dale Murphy, number three, was on your podcast talking about fucking Wilco. He
0: is. He is a music fan. And so I I was I was throwing out that was a that was a time about a year ago that I was just throwing it out to whoever. I'm like if if I know that you're a music fan, come on the podcast. So,
1: yeah. That is
2: insane. That is so cool. All right, you'll have to go check
0: out that episode. That was a lot of fun.
1: That was a good one.
2: If you ever have Dale on again for another record and you just want like a fourth guy call me <laughs> okay all
0: right you 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 are you are about a uh, person number 6 or 7 who has told me the same thing so <laughs> um, there's there is a there is a love out there for mr murphy so Anyways. Well, I love
2: you. I love you guys more too, Ben. So, like, I'll kick all their asses to be back on this thing. All
0: right, very, very good, very good. All right, so I mentioned, I mentioned in the intro, it's been a few years since you put out a record. Mm-hmm. Any, any reasons for for, for
2: uh, that? I think the big there, there's three big ones. Uh, there's okay. uh, budgetary constraints. Yeah. Uh. uh Worldwide pandemic and a healthy case of writer's block. But uh, I'm, I'm working on a new batch of songs right now with my band, uh, which is also called The Lifers. Uh, same, I've had the same guys playing with me now for about five years. And, um, and we're actually going to hopefully have something new to release and something recorded by the end of this year. So hopefully. Awesome. Very soon. Awesome.
0: What What is the process of getting yourself out of writer's block?
2: Patience. I mean, honestly, okay. you know, I think Petty one time described it pretty well. I, I've always found that the songs that really, really stick in your mind, I, I feel like if you force it, you just go deeper down the hole. Um, if you just yeah. kind of sit there and let the, let the thoughts pass, you write them down and eventually even like one line here, one line there, they all begin to amalgamate into something. So it's just a matter of patience, grace, and just hoping to God that like you didn't keep, keeping reminding yourself that you haven't lost it. It just hasn't found you yet. Right. I think that's me But, uh. It sucks. <laughs> That's for sure. It,
0: it does. Do you know what I did when I had writer's block? What's that been? I started a podcast. <laughs> that, that was my, like- that was, that was my creative outlet. And now, now it's, it's morphed into something more than what I was originally intending it for. And, now I don't have time to 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 finish any of my novels. And and my co-host is not much help because every time I go, hey, I'm going to take a break. So you need to slide into the the you know the lead oh, host God, role. I, I'm you're totally like, a, G- I'm like to- a
1: Jewish mother.
0: Hey, I'm just setting it up, man. I'm setting it up that I want to take a month off to finish a book, but you know.
2: Look, I, I I can already feel like the Carson McMahon type vibe between <laughs> you guys. And just remember, without Carson, all McMahon had was star search. So Wayne and yeah. y'all need each other. I'm telling you. Yep,
0: that's um, I I I know, I know. But you know, okay. He Wayne takes off like I don't know
1: five I, I, five weeks a year.
0: Five weeks a year, and <laughs> and you've already taken off like three weeks so far.
2: Oh boy! Well, the clock's ticking.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. I I did see something on the socials today, so you're going to be participating in a traveling Wilburys tribute mm-hmm.
2: with Andrew Lee.
0: <laughs> I know. I'm I'm super bummed that I do not live in Nashville right now because that is a that is a good lineup. That is like
1: Elizabeth Cook, Will Hogue, There's lots of okay, Bush Bush
0: Walker. You, 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 yeah, you saw Bush it as Walker. well. Dude, that is a, that's a lineup, man.
2: It, you know, and what's crazy is just a few years ago before I was even in Nashville, if you told me, and it had, you know, I've, I've become friends with a bunch of these folks showed me, I've done some gigs with Elizabeth cook and yeah, and, and, yeah. and stuff. If you told me nine years ago that I would be doing gigs with these folks that I've just enjoyed listening to for the past few years. I mean, the fanboy never goes away. It's, it's been a lot of those, those types of things too, where we just get together and do stuff. Like I, funny enough, I'm doing a Springsteen show, uh, next week, where we've, okay. we've got, we've got a band up here. Um, shameless plug. I'm part of this band up here called the beast street band. We call ourselves okay. that because we started at the basement East, um, also known as the beast and, yeah. uh, they, they do uh, Springsteen shows. And they started off by doing shows where they did some of his albums in its entirety with guest singers, and uh, then they invited me to come along when they did the Darkness on the Edge of Town album, and I've been like a mainstay since. And this show in particular, since the first one back since the pandemic, uh, the band leaders Micah Snow and Alex Fain, uh, we talked a lot about, you know, trying to really make like a Springsteen set. Like we went, we we went out to accomplish. Putting together a Springsteen ish set list the way that Bruce would. And uh, we've got a lot of guest singers on that one too. My friend Aaron Lee Tashton, I don't know if y'all checked him out, but he's amazing. We had Um, him on a couple months ago. Yeah. Oh, great. Uh, Aaron Lee Tashton, Charles Eston, who starred on the TV show Nashville and does some great music himself. He's going to be there. A bunch of other Nashville people, but we're going to get, we're not doing a complete album this time. But we really do try and capture the essence of the excitement and the sound of the E E Street band. So it's kind of cool that, like, you know, that's kind of what we do in Nashville to have fun. Like, we'll stop doing our music for a bit, get together with some friends and just play the music that we love. And that's kind of a beautiful thing, too, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm assuming Rosalie to come out tonight as a mainstay on that set list.
2: Oh, dude, that's usually one of the songs that I do and uh this time this time i had to fight charles esten for it but it was fine because i'm doing like four or five other songs i get to do jungle land this time so i'm fine with it you know that's a fair that's a fair trade um but yeah i love i love doing that stuff man like my songs i can do and i enjoy it i absolutely do but the springsteen songs are just in my dna so it's just like i get to i get to do what i did as a kid and like stand up on a fake stage and you know, with my fake guitar and pretend that I'm Bruce Springsteen, only this time I'm fully clothed. You know.
0: There we go. Love so, it. Here it is. All right. Well, John, um uh, just for the sake of time, because sure. because Wayne, I've I've um I, I'm now I'm now like three episodes behind in editing because our last couple episodes have all been over two hours long. (laughs) Oh God. And and I was, I was even telling my wife, I'm like, I think we're going to just do the intro and then I'm just going to go, John, tell me dancing in the dark. What's your score? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to wrap it up really quick.
2: Oh man. Um, You know, I was about to say, and then you invited me on for a Springsteen album, like the biggest (laughs) Springsteen nerd you've ever met. And you're expecting not to go two hours. Good luck with that, my man.
0: No, no. All right. So, so tell us what record you chose to revisit for this episode.
2: Oh uh, well, I, I wanted to do a Springsteen one, and I figured why not? You know, they say when you go to prison, you try and uh, knock out the biggest, baddest dude that you can when you get in there to set the precedent. And uh, this record, "Born in the USA," it's a monumental record for Springsteen's career. It's definitely by far his most popular. It's the one that made him the you know oh. the the legend that he is so yeah born in the USA that's that's what i picked
0: perfect perfect so let's let's get into this so so born in the USA seventh studio album from mr bruce springsteen released in june of 1984 of course recorded with the e street band uh the producers how do, how do you say chuck's last name
2: uh Oh Jesus.
0: Is it Plotkin?
2: Yeah, I believe it's Plotkin, yes.
0: Am, am I th- okay. And then of course John Landau. Not mm-hmm. not John Latham. John Landau. This was you you already mentioned this is this is the big one. Yeah. This is the one that uh really kind of launched him into the stratosphere. I mean, every, everybody kind of knew Bruce. I mean you know, when I was first getting into music, "Hungry Heart" was was a you know a hit hit song for him. Um, but this is the one that I think really catapulted him.
2: And I, and I think it bears noting too that that considering it's 1984 and it's his seventh record, it's worth noting that something like this would have never happened now, because as the music business goes now, you know. The the hungry heart would have never happened. You put out, you know, his first two records were basically flops. Born to Run had critical acclaim. He did yeah. build some fans in with that, but there was no hits on it. Darkness on the Edge of Town, no hits. He goes back to the record company for album number five. I'm going to make a double album, and they say yes. That never happens now, you know. Then he he gets his first top forty. He follows that yeah. up. Set momentum going with an eight track with a four track him demo. <laughs> You know, and then after that, he delivers the monolith pop record that everybody was hoping for at the record company. Man, that is good A and R work if I've ever had any, but I haven't. (laughs)
0: And and this is this is definitely recognized um, not only commercially. You know, they it's sold like thirty million million copies. Mm -hmm. Um, Critically, it's also up there as well. Um, I am a little disappointed where it ranks in the Rolling Stone 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. Um, It is number 142 now on the 2020 list. It was 86 Mm -hmm. on the 2012. Uh, Here's what's frustrating to me. I was looking at some of the the albums right above it. Mm Mm-hmm. Portishead's dummy is 131st. Okay. Hank Williams' 40 greatest hits.
4: Is, it shouldn't even
1: count.
0: I know it shouldn't even it count. count. I, I just wanted that's, to read that off because I wanted to, I wanted to hear Wayne do his old man impersonation there.
2: Get off my lawn. Are are y'all are you the type of purists that don't believe the greatest hits are are like records, basically? I'm just they curious. Yeah,
1: uh, they, they shouldn't be on a list of the greatest. I mean, that's it's that's cherry picking. It's not. That's not fair. sure.
2: Okay, I'll grant you that. I could make an argument about why it slid, and this is coming from a diehard Springsteen fan. Okay. Um, especially with like something like Portishead's Dummy, um, Portishead's Dummy, and the production that was behind that one of the things that that the allure of a band like portishead is that it is something that is very modern but it also sounds like it could have come out years ago like for instance like a lot of people have been trying to get portishead to do a james bond theme for years now because they would just knock it out of the park it's that type of sound and you know that sound dates back you know to the 60s but Portishead makes it a modern thing. So thus, yeah. it has this timeless feel. I would say of all the Springsteen records, Born in the USA is the first Springsteen record of his career that I can say from my perspective, that the production side of it is truly a dated production style. You can tell that this is a 1980s album from the sound. Yeah. Of it. yeah, You know what I mean? So even though some of the songs on here are timeless, the album itself is a, is like a product of its time. And I would say that that kind of gives albums like Portishead and stuff. It gives some of an advantage to that, you know?
0: And I, and I hope that you're not translating what I just said about Portishead head as I don't like it. I've oh, got no, it in no, my no, no. collection. I've got it in my collection and I just don't feel like it is, as classic
2: mm-hmm. you well, know. A, lot of that, a lot of that too i i and i'm just coming in i i love that record as well i'm i'm coming at it just from like a completely objective if they were to yeah. ask me to sit down with the list completely objective look at the fact of this sounds dated this does not like if i heard portis without knowing anything about portis said i couldn't tell you that it came out in the 60s 70s 80s 90s or 2000s right. it could have been right. any of them Right. But you play you play Dancing in the Dark for me, and it's like, oh, that is definitely early '80s, no yeah. doubt about it. You know, yeah. <laughs> but uh, any guesses that's...
0: on highest ranking Bruce record in that top 500? Greatest to 500?
2: It have to be Born to Run. If it's not Born to Run, I will be shocked.
1: Set it on fire.
0: It's yeah. it's Born to Run. It's twenty twenty first.
2: Very good. Very good. They got it
0: right. They got that one right. All right. Um, this was, like I mentioned, it was a success uh, commercially as well. Um, this was also nominated for a number of Grammys. Mm-hmm. Um, problem is, is um, yeah, it didn't win. Uh, here we go. <laughs> al- al- album of the Year nominations. You guys tell me what you think wins. All right, so there's "Born in the USA," Mm -hmm. "Private Dancer" from Tina Turner, "Purple Rain" from Prince, "Can't Slow Down" from Lionel Richie, and "She's So Unusual" from Cyndi Lauper.
2: Can't slow down. Can't slow down easily. Can't slow down wins. Yep. Um, Which I believe. I believe wasn't that the year of the Lionel Richie going around saying "outrageous" like fifteen times or something like that
0: probably probably
2: (laughs) every time he got up on stage you're just like outrageous
0: (laughs) yeah all right it was actually nominated the following year um for record of the year oh actually here let me give you a couple others um dancing in the dark was nominated for record of the year that year as well also didn't win here are the other nominees you tell me which wins Hard right. Heart, Heart Habit to Break from Chicago, which I absolutely detest that song. <laughs> um, G- Girls Just Want to Have Fun from Cyndi Lauper. Mm-hmm. The Heart of Rock and Roll from Huey Lewis, which I hate that song too. Um, Dancing in the Dark. And then What's Love Got to Do With It from Tina Turner.
2: What's Love Got to Do With It has to take that one.
0: Yeah, Tina wins. He was nominated the following year for Born in the USA mm-hmm. for Record of the Year. Here were the other nominees. You tell me which wins. <laughs> Money for Nothing from Dire Straits, Boys of Summer, Don Henley, Power of Love, Huey Lewis, We Are the World, USA for Africa, and then Born in the USA.
2: Ooh.
1: I'm going to say we are the world, but.
2: Uh, I'm going to go with, uh, could you repeat those again? I'm already blank. There was one that it stood out to me.
0: We are the world, money for nothing, boys of summer, power of love.
2: Boys of go summer. Go boy, boys of summer. I'm going to go boys of summer.
0: We are the world. You should have stayed I, with I, your first duh. guest.
1: Right? No, no, I stayed with my first guest. It's just, I, that's, a, that's a sentimental, uh, it's just, that's not based on the song it's not the better song the boys of summer
2: no consolation prize bruce was on that track so you know (laughs) okay yeah he he won a grammy he won a grammy yeah he was part of a grammy winning song in 1985
0: (laughs) was huey lewis he was part of that usa for africa yes
2: he he? he was and and cindy lopper and tina turner yeah they were all on that
0: how come they didn't invite Don Henley?
2: Because uh, nobody likes him because he's an asshole, and I'll say that okay. on your podcast.
1: That's the okay. word. Uh, that's the word on the street. Like we don't play Don Henley songs. We're afraid he'll find them and sue us.
0: We we are like like if somebody <laughs> picks if somebody picks you know building the perfect beast or uh, end of the innocence. I'm probably wow. going to have to tell him nope. <laughs> well,
2: we're not going to do it because I don't want to get sued. Tell him no because those records as albums are terrible. I mean, but on my first record, go back and listen to the first track of my first record. The song's called Major Key. The third okay. verse start, starts with me talking about, here's the lines. And it's not just me rubbing it. It's just we're talking about it right now. The line says, who gave the microphone to the drummer? Was it for money or against your will? For every diamond like the boys of summer, you get a lump of coal like the sunset grill. So there you go.
3: We perish in the butane flame. Well, I had a bad dream. I tried to block it. Now I'm losing all my sanity. Spend most my
0: Love it, I love it. I do love "Boys of Summer," though. That is a great song.
2: I I love "Boys of Summer," and it's probably because Mike Campbell co-wrote it.
4: So there Uh, you go.
2: That that probably has something to do with it.
0: All right, let's dive into this. Let's do track by track.
4: Let's go. Let's go. I'm ready.
0: As a reminder, our scoring is based on number of songs on the record. Wayne, how many songs on this record? An even dozen. Which means Top Sonic's gonna get 12 points, next favorite 11, on down to lowest score of one. So let's kick this off. Here is Born in the USA. And this was third single off the record. Do you guys realize that there were seven singles from this album? A lot of singles on this one.
2: Mm -hmm. That reached
0: the top 10. Yeah. I'm shocked by that. Okay. So he is tied. He is tied with three other artists for the most top 10 singles from one album.
1: Michael Mm -hmm. Jackson Thriller.
0: Michael Jackson Thriller is one of them. Who are the other two?
2: uh bodyguard whitney houston nope no okay
1: wayne Um, any guesses def leopards hysteria
0: that that would have been a good guess no but it's Hank Williams' forty greatest hits. <laughs> <laughs> using the criteria of the greatest five hundred, yeah. All
2: right, all right. So,
0: so I'll give you, I'll give you the 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 least obvious one. It is Drake. So he had seven top tens from oh, Scorpion happened in the last twenty years.
1: I don't
4: know.
0: <laughs> okay. the The other one happened in nineteen eighty nine.
2: 89
0: you say do, do i need to give you guys another hint
2: can you give me the album title without yeah. giving it away
0: no but i'll, I'll Is just it Shania say
1: Twain?
2: It's,
0: no it's another no. jackson it's another jackson Janet jackson rhythm
2: nation 1814 that's it
0: that's it seven seven mm. top ten singles off of that one as well
2: that was a baller record too
0: pretty pretty good all right yeah. so this this peaked at number nine on the singles chart and um npr says that it's one of the most misunderstood songs in history
2: Mm -hmm.
1: i don't think it's the most misunderstood i think it's co-opted by people who only take snippets of it um because it's i I don't think it's it's hard to misunderstand um i guess I, i guess if you're If you're You're only Republican and you don't listen to the entire song, you only just don't bore us, get to the chorus. I guess you might, you could misunderstand it, but I just think it's co-opted pieces of it are co-opted and it doesn't stand for any of the stuff that they're, they're co-opting it for.
2: Yeah. I think misunderstood might be the wrong word. Misused would probably be the way I'd put it growing up in Atlanta, growing up in the South, Like at 4th of July fireworks displays and stuff, it would be it would be blasted during a 4th of July fireworks display display still is. Um, And I don't think anyone's even paying attention to what it's saying. I don't think it's that they're misunderstanding it. They're just not listening. You know, I think that's the thing.
0: Yeah, to throw in another Georgia reference. So uh, you ever gone to the laser light show at Stone Mountain?
2: More times than I can. (laughs) <laughs> shake a stick at man i can i can almost tell you like the the, the different parts of that show that have been in there yeah. for the last 30 years like the devil went down to georgia bit
0: i was just going to ask the charlie daniels bit is totally yeah
2: and then of course the use of you know for those for those listening that are not aware of stone mountain it's this big granite mountain in south of atlanta and uh in the uh they're in this late 60s early 70s they sculpted a mural of uh, three of the biggest leaders of the Confederate army. I believe it was Jefferson Davis, Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson on the side of that mountain. And they started doing, and what's so funny about that is they have those four Confederate, those three Confederate soldiers on there and they end the show every year with the use of Mickey Newberry's "An American trilogy as sung by Elvis Presley, you know, which is like, you know, I mean it's kind of singing. I mean, it's got Dixie, but it's also got Battle Hymn of the Republic, which was the Union side song. So yeah. Yeah. you know, whatever, man. Like, you know, the South is all messed up. You know, we're we're interesting folks down here, I tell you.
0: I I get it. I've been down here in Florida for twenty years, so I get I totally get it. All right. God bless uh, you, sir. Yeah. Any anything else we want to talk about on lyrics or
3: Well, I think
2: it's interesting that, uh, I think it's amazing to see how, like, if especially if you've heard the song in its infancy as it is on the demo version that he released on the Tracks box set. It's interesting to hear how this went from being like a really kind of what he considers kind of the poor man's blues song about going to war and how it turned into an anthem, how it found that way. But lo and behold, it worked. I mean, like it became like a fist bumping song. It just happens to be about the terrors of, you know, the aftermath of the Vietnam War, basically. Yeah, no.
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so much in it, though. I mean, you and when you break this down even further, I mean, these guys' fathers went to war and came back heroes and got jobs on in infrastructure and manufacturing and made mm-hmm. you know, their lives for their family and their sons go off to war and come back vilified where they're spit on and things are thrown at them at the airport. And there are no jobs. There's a recession in the country. Gasoline is out of control and there is no work in these, these way, these family wage jobs anymore.
2: Yeah. uh, And honestly, I think that it's, it's interesting we bring this up and we'll bring it up on the last track on this album. That is the full, I think, I think that's the cycle That encapsulates this entire record is that here we are in the in the Reagan era, uh, an era that has been promised prosperity for the middle class uh, jobs that are going to be there for the middle class. Economic uh, reform that is going to, you know, theoretically trickle down to the middle class. And, you know, and basically it's almost like, you know, it's almost like Springsteen on a pop level, even with this one song. Was basically stating what the punkers were saying, and you know, bands like uh, uh, the beginning of the hardcore movement and stuff, where it was just like this: the stuff that Reagan is preaching is not working. You know, the cycle yeah. is broken, and that really is kind of the 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 framework. This song and the last song that really is the universe that the rest of all these songs kind of live in, and that's kind of something worth stating. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. All right, um, let's get scores. This is my five. Wayne, your score.
1: I gave it an eight. I think this is uh, for all it does. It it punches it 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 theoretically, thematically punches you in the face and tells you because this is the this isn't necessarily the worst. And I mean, a lot of these stories end with the central character going. To prison. But this central character, especially when you put this in the concept of Nebraska, which this is... All these songs were... A lot of these songs were written together. And this is Frank from Highway Patrolman, possibly. This is Johnny 99. I mean, he's really... He's he's setting the table. Not all the songs are, are gloomy. I mean, some of them are much more... These kids as teenagers wanting to start rock and roll bands and 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 going out with girls. But he's really... He's going to set the picture and he's going to set it dark and firm right here.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right, John, your score.
1: Oh, I
2: believe I gave this a five. Am I right on that? Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of middle of the road. And I know that's kind of weird for, for a kickoff song and especially one that was such a big hit. Um, As far as I'm concerned, I think there's a few things to play here. And and I think the most rock and roll part of the song Is at the beginning and the end. First of all, just the angst in his voice as he says "born down in a dead man's town" is just you know. I mean, he's really kind of setting the tone, even in his own voice, where like there's angst, and you really get the feeling of that. I think the the part of the song that hits me the hardest still, and even hit me as a kid, is that kind of like primal scream he does towards the end of the song. Yep. Yeah, he just—it's—it's it's almost like he's just—he ch- and the way they put it in the video and stuff, it works too because it's like a lot of quick shots of Vietnam footage, uh, refinery working closed—you uh, know, refinery workers closed down, strike, uh, picket lines—and then it just goes to Springsteen just screaming like enough, and it's so so heavy, but there's so much bigger. There's there's so much bigger stuff happening on this record that it you know it kind of just falls kind of middle of the way for me but that's that's yeah. just where i
1: on. and i you just brought up something that i thought of earlier in this week that that line about the first kick i took was when i hit the ground reminds me so much of the opening of lost in the supermarket where he says i was i was more i fell out than than i was born i mean it just yeah. had that same very clash very punk rock feel to that opening
2: oh yeah And by that point springsteen was listening to that you know, like he was already, he was on oh, that yeah. tip, you know? And so, yeah, you're exactly right. And I think some, funny enough, you bring up Lost in the Supermarket, some of the th- same themes that Lost in the Supermarket talks about from the Clash's perspective in the UK is exactly what Springseed's talking about from an American point of view. So very good point. Yeah.
0: Oh, he was definitely listening to the Clash. Just... just... As a reminder the the Grammy um the Grammy show after mm-hmm. Joe Strummer passed away guess who oh, was yeah. in that tribute band It was Bruce Springsteen
2: Springsteen yeah. I think Costello, Stephen Benzant. Um, yep Dave uh, Grohl Dave Grohl It was it was badass
1: yeah, it from No doubt,
2: doubt. Yeah. Have
1: have you ever seen the the video of uh, Bruce Springsteen and Tom Morello doing Clamp the Clampdown I
2: That's saw fantastic. them I saw them open a show in Atlanta in 2014 with that and it was awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah this was somewhere in Florida, but it was it gave me goosebumps. Yeah. It's like I, I that is probably my second favorite version of that song. Because yeah. Tom Morello, you Tom Morello is punk rock all the way to his heart, and you can see it when he sings that song that he literally absolutely loves. Like that song may be one of the songs that made him pick up a guitar and play rock and roll.
2: Oh, same here for sure. All right,
0: next song is Cover Me. and this was second single off the record. Do you guys do you guys realize who he wrote this for?
1: That surprised me. He wrote it Did he write it for the Greg Kin Band? cuz that's who sounds like should be singing the song. Let's see you if know. John
2: knows. Do you know who he wrote I, it for? I mean, <laughs>
1: I'm going to guess
2: and this is just strictly off of the sound of it for me. I'm going to guess that he played it that he that he that ugh, I can't talk. Uh that he um wrote it for maybe Tina Turner. Maybe
0: Donna Summer, really? Donna Summer, and Landau talked him out of it. Said this, this is a hit, which this is. He wouldn't let the
1: Ramones have "Hungry Heart," Mm -hmm. right?
0: Yeah, yeah. This is this is my least favorite of the singles that uh, I'm just going to throw that down.
1: This this slip, I I don't remember that. I mean, I, I guess I'm. I was somewhat shocked to see that I would have, if at, I was shocked to see that it was the second single, if you'd have said that this was the sixth or seventh single, yep. I wouldn't have been as surprised because especially on album oriented rock radio, mm-hmm. all these songs, almost, almost all, all of these them. songs were yeah. played. Um, that's you, you could hear I wasn't shocked to, to hear cover me on the radio, but to, when I looked and saw that it was the second single that did shock
0: me.
2: That's amazing to me too. I mean,
0: and it peaked at number seven, so it peaked higher than Born in the USA did.
2: Wow, that that's amazing to me. Just because I didn't, I was too young to have that context. I mean, I mean, as I said, I've listened to this since I was a baby, but like you know, I knew the album is a sequence thing. I didn't understand how singles worked, and I just knew that there was no video for this one on MTV. So you know, this was this was the single that I was less familiar with um, this is a song too that on the record I think suffers again from the production of the time because I've seen this Absolutely. song I, I, I've seen this song played live and live this song rips it's, it's like the equivalent on this record of say Adam raised a cane on Darkness on the Edge of Town this is where Springsteen cuts loose all that fiery guitar work that is solely his I mean this is the rocker but just the 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 flourishes and the polish of the time, I think, really kind of uh, neutered the power of this one a little bit. Wayne, Wayne, did
0: you like this song when it was when this first came out?
1: And here's the thing. I didn't hear it on the radio. I didn't have money to buy tapes and CDs, and this was one where you almost didn't have to. Um, this is a yeah. record I got on the first time I got it was on CD. Um, so much later, and was able to get more familiar with it. And but this song, I, I think I might have initially liked it. But this song is very '80s. It's very the guitar is very slick, and it doesn't. This doesn't sound like a Bruce Springsteen so, and the E Street yeah. Band song as much as literally. I'm listening to some of those, some of the production, and thinking this this could absolutely be Greg Kinn could have the Greg Kinn band should have done this. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think it slipped down in my scores because of the overly 80s production because there are a few, I mean you already mentioned that John, there are a few that you know definitely sound like an 80s record. Mm-hmm. Which which is kind of funny because I you know we've already talked about Tunnel of Love, Wayne. Do you feel like that record suffered from that 80s overproduction?
1: Um, not particularly. Yeah. Not, not this. And this one song for me stood out. Like I, I gave this my two. I could have easily given it my one. Um, if this song and another song were missing, I think it would have tightened the record up. But I, I would. I'm gonna hear. I'm gonna find the live version because this is this song has especially. It's in that a lot of it's in that guitar that's very '80s and way too slick for anything I would expect from. Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. The other other situation
2: you have, especially if you're looking at the – like if you're kind of putting this next to the the production style, which is also very 80s on Tunnel of Love, and that is also another reason why some people have issues with that record. Um, My argument there would be that like Cover Me is a bombastic song. The E Street Band is a bombastic band. So overproduction on a bombastic band, it sounds like it's overproduced. There we are here. Whereas that, if you use that same equation that you used for this record on Tunnel of Love, all of those songs on that record, and it took me a while to really wrap my head around Tunnel of Love um, over the years, but those songs are so understated and so yeah. simple and some of them just very quiet that if you add extra production to that, it kind of comes to middle of the road. You know, Mm -hmm. because there really isn't like there's only like one big rocker on that record, and that's spare parts. So everything else on there is just very, very kind of soft, very balladier-ish. So you just add that a little bit to it, it brings it kind of to the middle of the road. Um, and I think I think cover me I think they were just I think again, they're they're in the studio, they've got the they've got the power to do it. I think they were actually going to try and make a radio record. So why not try some stuff? And this is just happens to be one where, like for me as a listener, I feel like the the song suffers because of those decisions that were made.
1: Yeah. All right, Wayne, your score. I think
0: you already alluded to it, but
1: yeah, this was my my two. I All mean, right. the the opening lines fit right into the to the to the theme, theme that's been. Yeah, yeah, but then after that, it it gets glossy. Yeah.
0: And John, I have you at a four for this one.
1: Yeah, this isn't the worst. This isn't
2: the worst offender on the record for me, but uh, but it's definitely it's lower than Born in the USA by 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 a stretch. Um, The last thing I'd say about it, as far as one of the reasons I would score it lower is you can sometimes tell too when Springsteen's writing a song for somebody else. It doesn't shock me that he wrote it for somebody else. But when he's writing with somebody else in mind, sometimes he doesn't take as many chances lyrically. So lines like the times are tough now just getting tougher hold his r- whole world is rough it's just getting rougher these are softballs for the stuff that he wrote on born to run or darkness on the edge yeah. of town you know you can tell that this is he's giving it to somebody who isn't going to try and be wordy wordy words with all all you know all, all uh respect to donna summer and everything but i'm just saying that, like i could see that working better for her those lines working better for her coming from donna summer the times are tough it's getting tougher whole world is rough it's just getting rougher that sounds like donna summer doing bob dylan by comparison to some of the other stuff you know what i mean
0: yeah but she works hard for her money
2: well so i better treat her right so there we go
0: yeah that's right all right this is my three all right next song is darlington county and and Wayne you alluded to me that you thought that this was going to be one of your top songs and <laughs> and you lied well, you lied to me
1: it is it's in the top half it's still All i mean right. look it's total filler and but there's nothing wrong with that Wayne and you're yeah. in the you're in the song goddammit i and absolutely that's that's why <laughs> it's in the top half like i say you have a a song you have 6 7 singles you got to have some b sides this is absolute filler, but I think I also think that nineties country stole a lot from this uh song and this record. Um All right. So, so I'm so here are my notes on that on that thought.
0: On that thought. It's not just nineties country, but it's also two thousands country, because my notes here say Eric Church's Talladega is Darlington County's sequel. Because Talladega <laughs> is about a bunch of racetracks. dudes, it's about a bunch of dudes going to a ra- racetrack, and guess what? This one is totally about going to a racetrack in Darlington.
1: All right. Oh they're going to get jobs. These are kids from New York, where there's probably not a lot of opportunities. Going south to get to get some decent-paying yeah. jobs, and they're just. They're just two good old boys who never not mean to no harm, and the one named Wayne, which particularly makes me happy, ends up getting himself in some trouble. Now, I don't think he. I'm I'm my version of the story. He doesn't go to prison like a lot of the characters in these songs. He just goes to jail to to sober up a little bit, and he'll be he'll be at work on Monday. But I think what's very interesting is in the second verse, they're picking up a prostitute. They're hey, little girl standing on the corner. Uh, we got two hundred dollars. We'll yeah, rock all night.
2: I, I'm going to defend Darlington County. Damn it! Um, okay. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to defend this song. Um, if you go back even to the very first Bruce Springsteen record, one of the things that's part of the Bruce Springsteen record formula, every Bruce Springsteen record has to have a party song, even if it's misplaced every single one of them has it um for instance like uh born to run you could argue that the party song is she's the one okay uh uh, darkness on the edge of town um let's see what would what would the one on darkness be there's a lot of them on the river i can tell you that much but i feel like this is 10th avenue freeze out would be the party song on on born to run would be a good good example too on something like a Stark album, even though it was a rock record like The Rising, right in the middle of it, you've got Mary's Place. Um, even, on, even on Western Stars, which is a, a bleak record, not really bleak, but just like, you know, more orchestral record, kind of based on that Glenn Campbell, Jimmy Webb sound. In the middle of it, you got Sleepy Joe's Cafe, which is arguably the worst song on that record. But still, it's a party song in the middle of a not-so-party album. Um Every Springsteen record's got one. And of those types of songs, Darlington County is one of my favorites. Only because even if you don't know anything about Bruce Springsteen and the E Street band, there's a lot of stuff on this record, and we'll get to this even more as we talk, there's a lot of stuff on this record that's not indicative of everything that that band does, especially when you see them live. Okay? This song does, though. Everything that you love about Bruce Springsteen, the E Street Band, as far as being raucous, songs about girls and cars and all that that stuff, it's in Darlington. And the
1: the big man saxophone, because it sounds country until that comes in. And then you see the tie in between early rock and roll and country music when the sax comes in. Because that to me is the high. I love this song. You don't have to defend it to me. This is a great album and I, I love, I absolutely love this song. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. I don't, I, you don't have to defend it to me either. Okay. I, I well, love I, this song.
2: Well, I'm, I'm defending it to all, uh, there's a lot of Springsteen nerds that I've talked to over the years that like, they just talk about how Darlington County is the, you know, that is the stain on born in the USA. And no. I say that the stain. No way. No.
1: That's true. That's re- that's Ridiculous.
0: That's coming up next.
1: Yes. I would agree. You're absolutely,
2: absolutely right. It's coming agree. up next. <laughs> I would agree. You're absolutely right. <laughs> it's coming up next.
0: All right. My, my question for Wayne is, so uh, have you ever been handcuffed
1: to the bumper of a state trooper's Ford? I have only been handcuffed by the police one time, and I I was thrown in the back of a Ford, Crown Vic, but I was not handcuffed to the bumper. Mm-hmm. Uh, my My question that came up is, I'm curious. I can't imagine that this is a live that they do this a lot live, unless they're doing the entire album. And I wonder how they handle the World Trade Center's part.
4: Mm.
2: Yeah. Um. I mean, I've seen him do it, and I mean, he still he still says the line, you know, because it was standing but in I think 1984. He, hmm. But he also but he also kind of sings it. I mean, the, the song is kind of like it's already sung in past tense anyway. So, I mean, I've never thought anything of it to be quite honest. Um, I don't think he sang it for a while after the nine eleven situation. I know he didn't do much on that tour, but he he started throwing it back out. Come around the wrecking the the working on a Dream Wrecking Ball era, okay. he started bringing it back around, and it's still one of those songs that, like, as soon as you hear that riff, you know the girls start, you know, dancing and, you know, you start drinking and things start bumping and the sax solo comes up and you're just like, it's a party. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right.
0: This is my seven Wayne. Also my seven John.
2: Oh man. It's also, your seven. Four? It's it's a, seven? It's also your seven. It's
4: my seven. seven
2: lucky no three sevens man he should he should take darlington county to vegas he'd win a he'd win a slot machine yeah all right
0: next song is working on the highway
2: Right. Can we all agree that everybody took ones on this one? Can we just say that now? Yeah, we all put one and working on the highway. Yeah, this is is my one. (laughs) This is my one. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, again, the song itself. This is where we get into the territory, too. And I'll talk on this more with the next song as well, where I feel like some people say the tunnel of love was the Springsteen transition album. I feel like Born in the USA actually is the transition album because, as we talked about before, there's songs from the River era so, that didn't that kind of got more formulated. Songs from the Nebraska yeah. era they kind of made their way here, but you also see songs like this. This like you don't even. It's almost like he doesn't even really know what type of maybe when this. I can only imagine when this song was made. Like I don't know if he knew what type of album he was trying to make at that time because this one just it's like a bad I don't know, it's, it's like a bad Eddie Rabbit song or something
0: yeah it's just the um and don't diss on Eddie Rabbit I love me some Eddie Rabbit um, <laughs> no,
2: I said it's a it's, I said it's, it's a bad it's Eddie, Rabbit Eddie Rabbit song okay all right
0: all right all right we're good we're good then um I like I'm looking at the lyrics and the lyrics the lyrics are definitely Bruce I mean it's it it could the if you're looking at strictly lyrics, that could be something completely ripped out of the river, ripped out of Nebraska. However, the fact that you've got that just the 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 backline, catchy, eighty mid eighties type riff, it's just it's grating. Like it's the only it's the only song on here that I purposely skip.
2: I, I would say that for me, when I hear this song, and I do occasionally listen to it, occasionally. Do you remember how, like, as a Springsteen fan, when somebody said that one of their favorite Springsteen songs was On the Dark Side by John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown <laughs> Band? Yeah, oh, yeah. This is, this is this is the inverse of this. This is the Br- Bruce Springsteen song where I'm just like, how did all of a sudden I start listening to the Eddie and the Cruiser soundtrack? Like, yeah. this doesn't sound like Bruce Springsteen you know that's that's my i think honestly this is the one that if there was a stain on this record it's it's this one and in a way another one that we'll talk about later that'll be might be more controversial but we seem to be all on the same page with this this thing
0: (laughs) well the the main character doesn't have a name so should we just give him a name this is eddie (laughs)
1: <laughs> well i mean and, like he ends up in prison i mean so that is that's definitely a theme but it seems like he ran uh, across straight lines with a underage girl that whose parents wasn't very happy about it so they got him tossed in the can but it's got it's two it's it's buddy holly it absolutely reminds me of of something uh rockabilly out of the eddie and the cruiser soundtrack and i think coming off of like i say i'm i completely comfortable with filler. Not every song is designed to be a big hit and released on the radio, but coming off of one that I thought was done much more cleverly and, and much more fun than to just then to go straight into this. I, I can say if you, if you lost this, the album gets tighter. I agree.
0: Yeah. And here's the other reason why I gave this a one. So the, the, the main character, drives down with the underage girl. And where does he come
1: <laughs>
0: to Florida? Man, man takes, well, man takes Florida.
1: underage girl to Florida,
0: Florida man. Cause they won't say he's from Jersey. They will just say Florida man gets caught with an underage girl. So
1: he's gotta you know. be from North Carolina. Cause that's where they put him in jail. Okay, They put him in prison in Charlotte.
0: The headline still says Florida man though. <laughs>
1: So, so
2: Bruce Springsteen is a time traveler, saw what happened with Matt Gates and was like, I can get a good song out of this. Something.
1: I say, that's how good songwriters are.
0: We already said these are our ones. We spent way too much time talking about this. Yeah. All right. Uh, down, <laughs> down, downbound Train is next.
2: Now we're talking.
0: Now we're talking turkey. I str- I struggled with scoring the songs because this is one that I seek out. However, the the mid part was just a little bit too long this go round for me. So I I again I'm really nitpicking on the scores. Even though I give this my six, this is really like a ten or eleven. It's just that. That that
1: particular production thing knocked it down for me. Yeah, this is a phenomenal album. That's, I mean, like I say, to me, there's two songs I would take off and make this that perfect 10 song record. And it would, it would, they, Rolling Stone couldn't keep it out of the top 100, no matter what they tried, no matter what c- categories they broke it down into. But no. this has, I would love to hear a demo of, uh, I haven't, I hope, because this has got to be. This falls right into that Nebraska-type uh, era with but where that actually got to the E Street Band and they were ad, able to add more stuff to it because you can hear it in this song. You can see where it comes from. And just like I say, once again, this guy had a job and he had a girl and the economy takes a shit and he loses them both. Uh, but that line about, hey, Joe, I got to go. We had it once. We ain't got it no more. I I just, wow. And it just goes, it spirals and gets darker from there.
2: Yeah,
1: it does. And I think the thing for me
2: with this song, first of all, just the grittiness of it. I mean, first of all, this, this is one of the few songs on the record with the band where it just sounds like the band in the room playing. This is like the same, it goes back to kind of the production sound of the river. Where it's just the band in the room playing there's not much gloss on this one maybe some sweeping casio synth type stuff in the back especially as you get into the middle part but other than that the production is just the band going for it and the darkness uh, you know there's there's no and it's also understated in a way because there's no heavy guitar solo yeah. there's no sax it's, it's very much like it's a poignant song. And I think it's one of those things where it almost anchors the middle of the record. With Born in the USA, you're setting the tone as far as how dark it could be. You're reminding people after two party songs how dark it was getting. And then it takes you, it, and it begins to kind of uh, usher in the second half of the album. Um, and also just from from just a, the standpoint of even when i was a kid that just the sound of gu- the of the guitar riff at the beginning it's one of the first few guitar riffs that i learned how to play and like i don't know that the sound of that guitar at the beginning of the song just still gives me goosebumps Yeah, and um, yeah it's a, it's a it's a dark song and it's a dark song that again i think just man it could have been on nebraska but i'm so glad that it wasn't i feel like one of the things about those songs on nebraska somewhere in the vault max weinberg has said somewhere in the vault there is a full e street band version of all the songs on nebraska
4: that's
2: the that's the e street band record i would die to hear i'm waiting for them to put it out yeah um because uh, it's, very, it's a very popular thing, particularly in, particularly in songwriting circles, where a lot of people say that either their entry to Bruce Springsteen's music or the one Bruce Springsteen album that they like is Nebraska. No offense to Nebraska, but just as much as we could say about Dancing in the Dark not being indicative of Bruce's style, Nebraska, I don't think, is very indicative of Bruce's style, especially when you're talking about the music that he made for years with the E Street Band.
1: Uh, yeah absolutely i and i think that was a choice the songs had this darkness and grittiness that f- lent itself to a demo version but i i will go one step further i would possibly kill somebody to maybe hear that record
2: <laughs> me too i i mean i'm with you every song i've ever heard him do with the e street band off nebraska and i've heard a bunch of them now johnny 99 reason to believe atlantic city um ooh, state trooper um he, with the Secret Sessions band, I heard him do Highway Patrolman. So, you know, hearing those songs with a band, good Lord, those songs are heavy. They are heavy rockers, and I love it. Dark, heavy rockers. It's like Neil Young stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. So so Downbound Train, because it has that type of dark vibe, along with the fact that it's the band just playing. Yeah, I I, I, I scored this one super high.
0: Yeah, you gave this an eleven. Yep, Wayne, your your score.
1: Um, I gave it a nine. There, there's just a lot of great songs on here, and I, but I love, as from a songwriting perspective, he never he says some things that'll lead you in certain directions. Like the one thing to me, he, I he kills her, and but the thing that oh, it's it's funny, it never says that. Yeah, you know, because but I think that part. It's the way it lends itself to, because he said she bought a train ticket. He never said she got on a fucking train. And then that whole part where he hears her saying, uh, you know, I miss you come back. And the running through the house and up the stairs, it just has this very, that 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 frustration that you hear in Born in the uh, USA. I feel this in a much more understated way, but as, mm-hmm. as just as powerful, maybe even more so. You,
2: you nailed it that's that's a great way of putting it the the frustration and two degree remorse remorse is what you feel in there too i think he does a great job of playing that character on that song
0: all right this is my six all right next song is fourth single from the record this is i'm on fire (laughs)
4: I can take you Ooh, I'm
0: And the B side, do you guys know the B side? It's Johnny Bye Bye.
2: Yeah, which is uh, his take on a Chuck Berry tune, I believe. That's right.
0: Supposedly a sequel to Johnny Be Good. Right? Or no. Yeah, that's blue. No, no, it's a sequel to No, I guess it is. I don't know. Bye bye, Johnny. Bye bye, Johnny. So it's bye bye, Johnny. His version is Johnny. Bye bye. Right. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. It's kind of, I think in some ways it's kind of like, it's like a born in the USA version of that. Cause I want to say in his version and it's not in the Chuck Berry line, but there's the line about the, the man on the radio says that Elvis Presley's died. Right. There's a line like that in the song. And so it's kind of like, uh, it's, and you know, what it sounds like it sounds like Springsteen's eulogy to the eulogy to the original pioneering of rock and roll. That's kind of how it sounds. Yeah. It um, plays that way too. And this was a
0: commercial success. It was, reached number six on the Billboard Hot 100. Um, here's how I know that your song is good: when other artists cover it and i love their versions just as much as i love the original that is that's how i know that the song is good so tori amos have you heard her version yep so stinking good um john mayer has a has a cover of that on um battle studies which is really great as well Gang of Youth, if you uh, know them,
2: Gang of Youth is one of my favorite favorite bands right now. And yes, they're great.
0: So you can go find their version out on YouTube. I don't think they have perf. I don't think they've recorded a version, but they did play it live um, on one of their recent recent tours. Anyways, it's just it's one of those songs that anybody um, can can cover and it just sounds good from just about anyone. Now don't at me because I'm sure there are some bar bands that have tried to do this song as well and have not succeeded on that. But, um, I didn't want this to be my top song, but it is every time, every time I hear this song, yeah. it's just, it's, a, I, I, I get sucked into it.
1: Yeah. I, I think it's, it's almost prose in nature i mean the words some of the words he he chooses it has a very just gives it a very strong uh like short story feel um, mm-hmm. they're very powerful words you know the soaking wet and my you know a valley through the middle of my skull a freight uh, train running through dull. the middle of your head and the, yeah, yeah and the percussion on this that keeps that train it never changes it's 100% constant like a train is par- is one of the most powerful parts of the song and and i love the sequencing
0: because you just followed downbound train to this song which has that that feel of that momentum that he just built on with downbound train so it's genius that it's sequencing and for you kids that don't have a copy of the the vinyl or the cassette where you can flip flip it over to the next side this is a this is an album side closer and it's mm-hmm. a perfect album side closer
2: you know I think it's a great way to end the the, sec- the first side of the record it's kind of bringing everything it, it really does feel like uh in a play this is this is the intermission before the second act. Yeah, and um, and you know you don't want to you didn't want to shoot the whole kabang right off the top, so it's an understated thing. I would also say that looking at this from the perspective of the expanse of Springsteen's career, this is I think the beginning of his writing style that led him into Tunnel of Love. I think this was kind of a foreshadowing of the type of writing he'd be doing for that record. Um, I see that you know,
0: yeah
2: and uh you know songs like songs off a ton of love like valentine's day kind of i feel like came from the the i'm on fire uh the same book basically um you brought up gang of youths and if we're talking about i'm on fire i'd have to throw in there as well they didn't record i'm on fire but on their album if this is for all you geeks to check out out there they have a great album called the positions that came out a few years ago yeah and uh the the third track on that record called the diving bell when you get to the middle of that song it goes from like one type of style and then the song kind of builds 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 and then shifts to another style and they totally pay homage to i'm on fire with the second half of that song
4: uh, i'm
2: not you know no sp- no spoilers but check that song out and when you get to it you'll hear it if you're a big fan and you'll be like ah i know where that came from
4: yeah, and that was tongue,
2: the song really big- again it's called the Diving Bell. I believe it's Track Three on the album uh, "The Positions." Okay. Uh, which is the Gang of Youth is a great band, and that would be another band that I would say everyone, if you're a big Springsteen fan, if you like that kind of like earnest arena rock, Gang of Youth, they're they're one of the best ones doing it right now.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, I already mentioned my scores, Wayne. What do you got for "I'm on Fire"?
1: Uh, ten this song gives me chills every every single time
0: yeah and John I
1: think for me this was this was middle of the pack wasn't it for
2: me yeah this is a um yeah I mean you you'll kind of see where my mindset is on like what what elements of Springsteen have spoken to me and it's hard for me to talk about this without a sense of not only nostalgia or you know my own personal love of this guy but you can kind of see where my head is as far as like when springsteen's doing his best what that sounds like um i'm on fire i think i I think one of the reasons i scored it a little bit lower too might just also come from the fact of years and years of as you were saying hearing other people try and cover this and you know
0: you heard some bad versions in other words (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah. And so and that does
2: taint it, you know, it does yeah. taint it, um, especially because the thing is, this is one of those songs that unless you felt that longing that's in the song, this is one of the best songs of unrequited love that there is, you know, um, you know, the whole idea of asking this, this girl that, you know, in your heart of hearts is the one that you want. And it's the one that you that you burn for. And you're asking her, basically, the guy that you're with, does he treat you right? You know, right? But you're not really saying it to her. But this is just you talking about, you know, and and you know, you, you're losing sleep over it. If you can't sing it from that earnest point, if you haven't felt that, or if you can't convey that in the wrong hands, yeah, this song can be absolutely destroyed. Yeah, and it's not having to do with the performance; it's having to do with the mindset. Some people have just never experienced that the way this is. You know what I mean? Oh,
1: that person would not be me. So,
2: <laughs> oh yeah, and, and and me too. But this is this is you know it's it's a it's a task. It's a task to undertake to try and to try and do this song. It's it's a deceptively where where it lacks complication in form in emotion it is super complicated yeah. um and i think again that that speaks to the genius of it but yeah aid for me all right
0: so this is where we flip the record over and this is no surrender was not this was not a single it's still wayne to your point it got play on them on the mainstream rock stations and it was on the mainstream rock chart which peaked at number 29 this is just a killer killer song
1: This, this is this is a classic this is a classic e street band song and i like it in the theme of this record because there's been a lot of i had it and it went to shit and it's all trouble and i went you know i went to war and i came back and i can't get a job and then this is those kids that hear uh, that hear a chuck berry song on the radio or the clash or bruce springsteen and all they want to do is get a guitar and some drums and do this for the rest of their fucking lives and it sometimes you work and work and work to get what you want and you actually get it. And I think that comes, you can tell that the the guys that make up this band know what that feels like. And it comes through in the song and the harmonies and everything this, it didn't, I put it in the middle of the pack because I do love that darker stuff, but I, this, I love this song. Yeah.
0: No retreat, baby. No surrender. That seems like a good um, T-shirt, right? Yeah. John, we are, we are not hearing you right now. Are you on, are you oh, on I, mute?
2: Yeah, I'm on, I accidentally muted me.
4: Okay.
2: Um, just because I was listening to what you were saying and then trying to get my, my ideas around it. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say that one of the other things that makes this such a great song, where it is on the record, and so important on this record, is really considering everything that's been done on the first song or the first side of the album born in the usa cover me darlington county working on the highway even the upbeat songs on there end with loss arrests prison you know even the upbeat ones this is the first song that actually is a full-on song that gives you a glimmer of hope it's the first song on the album that doesn't um that doesn't allow itself to be bogged down by the surroundings that it is in. The third verse is perfect for that. Um, to, uh, 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 tonight the lights are growing dim. I can. Uh, the walls of my room are closing in. There's a war outside still raging They say it ain't ours anymore to win. Um, I want to sleep beneath peaceful skies in my lover's bed with a wide open country in my eyes and these romantic dreams in our head. He's basically saying that the dream doesn't die. The dream can't be killed. That dream of doing that rock and roll, the dream, everything that they learn from that three minute record, that still permeates their mind. It still runs through their blood and nobody can touch it. Yep. And I think I think that le- that message of hope, what a great way to start off the second half of the record. they've They've kind of get, and especially after those last two songs, they do deal with yearning loss, um, you know, the darkness and downbound train, all of that kind of washed away with no surrender. What an anthem. What an anthem.
0: Yep. All right. We ready to get scores on no surrender? Yes, sir. All right. Wayne.
1: I, I don't like my six. I also heard that it was, uh, Steve Van's Zandt that, talked him into he didn't think that this song fit and steve van zant told him that it absolutely fit that sometimes you work and work and work and you actually get what you work for there you go yep
0: this is my 11 and then john
2: this is number 10 for me i know that
0: it's number 10 next song is bobby jean
2: This song has, I have to say, has some very sympathetic meanings for me.
1: Okay. For, uh, <laughs> and um, I, my, the end of my notes say we all have a Bobby Jean.
2: If you don't mind, since I've got the floor, I'm gonna tell I'm gonna tell you the story. because um, it's too good of a story not to tell. So this is a song about saying bye to, to a friend. This is this is losing a friend, you know, somebody that you've known your whole life and for and i get this story from my dad um, my dad i was born in a, i was born in a small town in south carolina called greenwood south carolina most of my family is still there and uh, my parents moved me from there to the atlanta area when i was like two years old but um anyway there was a guy there in in town who was my dad's friend uh and uh him and, him and my dad met each other, I think, in middle school or the equivalent of junior high. And they've known each other ever since. And they were they were running buddies. It was him that got they got each other into Springsteen, if I remember correct. And, uh, you know, when they went to go see Springsteen, they went to go see Springsteen together and all that. So when my dad was leaving and he was leaving town, Bobby Jean was the song. Bobby Jean was the song that said everything that they didn't know how to say to each other about that situation. Because it was true. They liked the same music. They liked the same same bands. They liked the same clothes. That was their story. And um, to this day, that's still. He's still somebody that my dad talks to on a regular basis. You know, um, it was a beautiful thing. I, I remember back up during the working on a dream tour, it had been decades since my my dad and him had gotten to see Bruce together and so for his birthday we bought tickets for them to go see Bruce together in Greenville South Carolina and I'm if I'm not mistaken I think he played Bobby Jean that night and that was like a big thing for them and uh, the the power of that song and the way that he was able to you know basically it was his goodbye song to Stephen fans in because at that point he knew that Stephen was leaving and uh what a powerful song that encapsulates the beauty of friendship and the pain that it is when that gets yanked away. How, you know, there, give me another song that does it so wonderfully as this. It's hard to find.
0: I got nothing. <laughs> Let's just get scores. Cause I don't know how to top that. So beautifully said, John. Yep. All right. Uh This is my nine. Wayne
1: I only gave it a four but it's a four on a record full of wonderful songs this is one of my favorite songs uh, I never I never looked at it quite um I you don't looked have, at it from a female perspective uh, absolutely Bobby and James I but James. I mean I, you know those looks they've everybody that's that's that plays has said they almost entirely said they picked up a guita- guitar to impress a girl and this song really feels... Like, uh somewhat of a a song that will always be linked to the previous song because there's always a girl that makes you that encourages you uh, you know at, at and tells you oh no you know these we're all these bands are the, you know you want you're gonna do this and you can do this and i love your stuff and that inspiration uh and i that's always the uh the route i went with it
0: yeah yeah all right john your score?
2: I gave it a 9. I wish I wish there were more songs of this record so I could score it higher.
0: There we go. All right, I'm going down this next. Sixth single from the record. Peaked at number nine. Janie, don't lose you, don't lose heart. Don't you lose heart.
2: That was the B-side?
0: That was the B-side. This is my two. That's all I have to say about I'm going
2: down. Yeah. it's. I mean, this would be the one song on the record that I would say constitutes what my definition of filler would be. You know, we had to take it somewhere from yeah, there. It was still a top 10 hit. Yeah, there was still a top 10 hit, um, which yeah. which amazes me. But I, I chalked that up to the uh, the, um, the one, 5 6 four progression that's on it. It's the same progression as Don't Stop Believing. It's the same progression as Wagon Wheel. It's the same progression as With or Without You. Yeah. You know, the magic of them.
1: I would also say at this point he could have he could have released any one of the songs on this record that were remaining and it would have been a top 10 hit. Absolutely. The world was ra- was absolutely ravenous for Bruce Springsteen songs. He was the king of the world and he could have he could have put in uh Working on a Highway and I'm telling you at that point the machine was moving too fast. It was going to be a top 10 hit.
0: Sure. I I I don't believe that working. I'm I'm telling you right
1: now, no, dude,
2: it wouldn't it would not have mattered. I have a feeling he's right. I mean, at a time when still rock radio don't 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 feed into his ego (laughs) like that, John. That's not good. Wayne Wayne, you keep shining, you little bright star. You, um, (laughs) no, seriously though, uh, yeah, I think. Working on, a highway, working on the Highway could have been a hit because the thing is On the Dark Side by John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown band was, and those songs to me are interchangeable. You know? Okay. But that's, yeah. you know, that's On the Dark Side is like a bad parody of a Springsteen song or a good parody of a Springsteen song. Working on the Highway is a bad or good parody of a Springsteen song. It just happens to be done by Bruce Springsteen. You know?
0: Alright. Is this a sexual song?
2: i'm going down i don't think it's (laughs) i don't think it's it's meant that way it's it's not going down like the hydra song going down or anything like that i think it's more like i don't know that one it's it's an old blues tune that i'm going down 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 that one okay everybody's somebody's done it a bunch of people have i just know the hydra version but um okay anyway uh I don't think he means it like that. I mean, there's some, it almost sounds like he's wanted to be a sexual song, but he's being rebuffed. And so he's feeling down, but I'm feeling down. Doesn't sound as cool as I'm going down, you know, like he's crashing, and bur- yeah. he's crashing and burning is what it is. I think
0: it's just one of those phrases where my inner beavis goes crazy. <laughs> it's, so, it's, not, it's not, it's
2: not loving an elevator. It's more just like I'm crashing and burning and I can't, you know, yeah. I'm trying but she's not letting me
0: <laughs> yeah I get it alright this is my two Wayne uh, three and then John
2: Uh, this was middle of the pack for me wasn't it
0: yeah this was your three as well
2: yeah. oh three okay yeah I, I scored it lower than I remembered okay whoops
0: yeah. all good alright um, next song fifth single from the record this is glory days.
2: Yeah.
4: talking about glory days.
0: And since we brought up M T V earlier This is a great video.
2: This was the video that made me want to do music, even as a kid. My dad would, my dad would brought me to sleep to MTV. And I remember, I remember seeing the Born in the USA video and stuff. I remember that. I remember the Dancing in the Dark video, the video of him on that little stage in that bar with that band. And all, you know, that just looked like fun. It looked Mm -hmm. fun and uh i can now attest to the fact that it is and uh but that was the birth of that i was like that looks like something i want to do so when i got my first toy guitar and you know i i tried to do all the same poses you know like at the end when they're all doing that kind of neck up type thing while he's doing the all rights and stuff like that everything that's in that video i tried to emulate that you know and uh you know so yeah glory days I'm suddenly living that song now, you know, this is the year of my 20th high school reunion, my 20 year high school reunion. And so now that I'm beginning to hear from people about that high school reunion, I I do feel that type of thing of, you know, remembering the girl who lived up the block, who's now, you know, the divorcee and now that her kids are asleep, we can talk more, you know, that type of thing. (laughs) So, what a, you know, cool song. Yeah. Good
0: single. And, and by this time, um, Stephen was out of the band, right? Cause yeah, he comes, he came back. For the video. he's in the video. He came back for the video. Came back to do the
2: video and he, and he showed up a couple times on that tour. Like as a guest, he happened. I remember at the Atlanta show my dad was at, he came out, it was around Christmas time. Stephen happened to be in town doing something. And so he came up and did a few songs and they did santa claus coming to town and you know all that type of stuff so yes yeah. you know it was it was he was he was kind of getting ready to do all that disciples of soul stuff at that point and was trying to put more time into that i think but he came around yeah. and and that video was just great you know the the 80s the '80s style of Little Steven, especially if you look at how he looked back in the '70s era, you know, man, what a what a
1: drastic change! <laughs> Miami Steve Van Zandt. <laughs> yeah,
0: oh, yeah. I, and I don't even know. I don't even know how to ask this question, or maybe I'm just going to. I'm just going to throw it out there. But knowing Wayne, that we're that age now, um, where we're talking about. You know the the memories of being teenagers. I mean, I just finished editing our cure episode where we, you know, we talk about being a couple dudes in the early '90s where, you know, we were still trying to figure that kind of crap out. Um, do is it okay? To to relive those glory days and and think about those,
1: I, I think if you, as long as you avoid that that person that he meets in the bar, that that was their best time. Like I've loved this yeah. song since my glory days were junior high, and it just keeps going from there. You 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 need to be making more days, and then your glory days are the ones from behind you. And I think that guy that his glory days were high school that when you, I mean, we, Ben and I were going to be a shock to everybody, but we were not the coolest kids in our high school, but what I know I (laughs) hate to be the one to break it to you, but we also graduated high school, moved on, had families, got jobs and did things. And when we look back, we, it wasn't, it wasn't the glory days. There were, you know, it, the glory days should just be the The times that have that that section that's just passed and you've moved on to the, you know, my kids have grown up and moved away. The glory days were when I was chasing around toddlers and taking and go and going and seeing my son play saxophone in the junior high school band. And those they But there'll be more glory days. I mean, your glory days should always be that last section that you've just graduated from. And anybody who thinks that high school, their high school baseball career was the best it ever got is fucking pathetic and sad.
0: Well, my glory days are right now of watching my kids graduate from high school and, and watching them excel in, you know, their soccer tournaments. And we're I we're kind of, we're kind of having our own little (laughs) glory days of having a little success with the podcast in our fifties. So, you know, it's, it, it
1: it's the glory days are you're supposed to keep making them yeah you should keep making you're supposed,
0: them yeah you're 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 supposed to be in those glory days and not just think about you know when i used to strike your ass out in the backyard playing <laughs> wiffle ball so you know
2: i can't I think care. he does those a good glory day i think he does a good job of, of the summation of that in that third verse because it goes from two examples of two people looking back like that yeah. right and then the third verse says, you know, think i going down to the well tonight. I'm going to drink till I get my fill. When I get old, I hope I don't get a, a sit around thinking about it, but I probably will. Because just sitting back, trying to recapture a little of the glory of time, sl- time slips away and leaves you with nothing but boring stories of glory days. And I think that's kind of what he's saying. Like, if you just spend all your time trying to remember and just saying, like, you know. if if you sit there thinking if I'd only had that one shot or if I, if this one thing had panned out for me, I could have done this or I could have done that. You are missing everything else around you. You know, if I could have hit the curve. Yeah. If I could have hit that curve. If you, if you could, if you could have hit the curve or like, you know, it's one of those things. Like, I think it's a dangerous thing. Even like as a musician looking at it from my standpoint, I think, There are times and opportunities where like, I kind of started off kind of late in this, I didn't start doing records or writing music. I didn't move to Nashville until I was already 30, which by music industry standards, I'm already almost retirement age. You're washed up. Yeah. Yeah. You're washed up, John. (laughs) So, so, you know, like I could sit here and think, you know, well, what was I doing before then, man, if I just. If I'd if I'd focused harder on the you know I had it in me if I'd focused harder back when I was 21 or 22 when I'd just gotten out of high school or dropped out of college or man if I if I'd done it this way like I would have had more opportunities here or there or even sitting here now it's like man if I didn't have that damn writer's block I would have had a third album out by now and there's all that stuff that you can think about but I think again if you if you live in the now and just enjoy you know, I'm very happy with the things that I've done and and where it's taken me. And I think that's the danger is to look at what you don't have. And I think that's kind of, that's the moral of this particular Springsteen story is, you know, don't, don't dwell on what you can't change. Don't dwell on what is out of your control. He just finds a really cool, everyman way of saying it. You know,
1: I think you're exactly right, though. I think if, If you live in the now and you just live life, then everything that happened before is the glory days, whether it's the glory days from when I, you know, 10 years ago, the two years ago that were the glory days, then I still have the glory days now or two, uh, just a couple years ago or a couple months ago. If you, like you said, if you live in the now and just live your life and don't worry about what did happen or didn't happen or should have happened. Mm -hmm then they're all glory days. All of your days from yesterday before is a glory day. Yep. Time
2: slips away and leaves you with nothing but boring stories. Live your life. You know, that's, that's it. That's exactly right.
0: All right. Um, Did I get scores yet? I don't don't think think so. Wayne, your score.
1: (laughs) This was my favorite song. This is my 12th. (laughs)
0: all right this is my eight and then john
2: Uh, again i think middle of the pack was it six
0: you got a six yeah all right next song dancing in the dark
2: This is where I might start getting a little controversial. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's hear it. Okay, we've talked a lot. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna come out swinging on this one, just because. Before I, I will start off by saying, as far as pop songs go, this is a great pop song, and um, and it was
0: a big success on the pop charts. This number two, this, right? Number two peaked at number two. Guys, guys, want to know what songs kept it out of number one?
2: Uh, let's see, was it 84? 84. Uh, probably one of the Michael Jackson tracks off Thriller, I would imagine.
0: Was not, it was first kept out of number one from The Reflex from Duran Duran, oh. and, and then <laughs> when Doves Cry leapfrogged it. And stayed at number one for a number of weeks and kept it out of there. Oh, so reflex. it spent four weeks at number two. Yeah. The Wait, reflex. Did, did you
4: say did you
2: say cry or just the reflex leapfrogged it again?
0: No, when doves cry. When When Doves, when doves Cry. Yeah.
2: I was like I was like, Cry by Godly and Cream? Oh, <laughs> oh man. <laughs> really?
0: I, I love that song. I love that uh, song. I remember the video very well. Uh, Video's video's Um,
2: great. Video's great. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But I was just like, man, that's a deep cut. That that's certainly dating it.
0: And and you're talking about this being a pop song. This is definitely Bruce's most popular song ever. This is the highest charting song that that he that he ever had. So he's never had a number one hit.
2: Yep, and it's the most out of place on this record for several reasons. Um, first of all, um, everything else on this record was was written, and and up to this point, I think it's important to note that this song didn't exist until after Bruce thought the record was complete. Right. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty well documented story at this time, but like it was an eleven song record, and in truth, that record, I think would have probably been a better encapsulation of some of the themes that Bruce said he was going for with it. But then you have this song, which is just the oddest of odd ducks, um, written out of spite, basically, (laughs) you know, uh, you know, my record's done. John Landau says, no, it isn't. So Bruce in a fit of rage goes and writes this in 10 minutes. And, uh, it's the most, it's the most non-indicative song by yes. you know, kind of a legendary artist. It's the one, but for a song that's a hit by a legendary artist, this one is the most non-indicative of everything else that that artist does. You know, like I can't think of another song by another like legendary artist that they had like their big hit and their big hit sounds nothing else like anything they ever did. There's not even a guitar track on this track, you know? It's all synths, it's gated drum sounds. And Clarence, don't forget Clarence. And Clarence, unless you have the 12-inch single version of Dancing in the Dark, which has the most horrible, godforsaken dance remix as the (laughs) B-side.
0: I don't think I've ever heard it.
2: You're Stay a young away. man don't don't do it, Ben you're a young Stay man. Away. you have so much to live for. You have so much to live for. don't do it. Um, I would re- you would rather listen to working on the highway. that's that's all I'm gonna say about that. Um, but I know that this is a big song for a lot of people. I know it is. So I know it's very uh, controversial to some for me to just sit here and kind of dog it, but I dog it within the context of the record. And this is the one part of the record where I feel like the sequencing was messed up. I honestly think if you had to put Dancing in the Dark on this record, to sandwich it between one of the most, one of the more uh, kind of universal rocking singles and one of the most beautifully stoic and poignant album closers of all time, it's just. It doesn't fit there. It was such a big single, and I believe, was this the first single from the record?
0: Yeah, it was. Yep.
2: Okay, so as the first single, if I was the if I was the r guy and they were doing the sequencing thing, the way I would have played this is, man, it's a weird spot to put it between Glory Days and my hometown. But you're starting off, and, and it's a weird place to put it for people who are just buying the record because they want that song. Give the audience what they want and don't screw with your sequencing. Let this be the starter for side two. Play Dancing in the Dark at the beginning of side two. You got your hit out of the way. And then you can go back to what you were doing with – because think about it this way. If you take Dancing in the Dark out of the picture, put that at the top of side two, check out this sequencing and how awesome it would be. No Surrender, Bobby Jean, I'm Going Down, Glory Days, My Hometown. Even though I'm going down as kind of a weak sauce song, it's still indicative of the Springsteen sound. So you're getting a Springsteen song. You got a sax solo in there, but otherwise you got it's almost all killer no filler for the rest of that record, and you don't have this weird synth-ridden dance song in the middle of it. Yeah. I don't know. That's, that's my tirade on Dancing in the Dark. It's just that where it was in the album, it fits in an odd spot. I think it breaks the sequencing in a bad spot. Um, and that's one of the reasons that I scored this one so damn low.
0: All right. Um, Wayne, anything before I give you a fun fact?
1: Yeah, I, I, you know what, this song has grown on me over time, but I agree with a, a lot of what he said. This, I mean, it was even part of it was image. I mean, that scruffy, you know, not shaven Bruce Springsteen wearing almost what looked like dirty clothes. Uh, it was all changed. He was buff. He was wearing tight jeans. He's got you know his hair's cut. And, and now he's, it, It also, it also a lot reminds me of Hungry Heart in the sense that that, that prior to that Hungry Heart was his biggest hit. And this feels very, when I heard that it was written, someone said, you need to write one more song. And he's like, I'm not going to do it. And they're like, oh, yeah, I don't hear a single and F you, uh, right. I'll fine. I'll write a song. And he writes one very similar in a lot of ways to his biggest hit to that point. Um, it's grown on me over time. But I if yeah, I agree that it's in a weirdest spot, like Glory Days ties in so good with my hometown, which that's also nostalgic, but it's not as happy. And so it's a real great contradiction. So this should definitely be moved out of in between there. Yes.
0: But here's the deal. When you're talking about sequencing from the 80s, think about where artists put their filler songs. It is on side B, typically either last song or second to last song. So just think about where he thought <laughs> this song belonged. But see I don't know. Maybe I'm I, reading into it, but
2: I don't buy into that because like, okay, what's the biggest Cindy Lauper song there is?
1: Girls Just Wanna Have Fun.
2: That was track to side one on She's So Unusual. Right after money changes everything, it fits perfectly where it is. Um, yeah. So you've got that uh, thriller. You know, he he front loaded a bulk of that record on that one. You know.
0: Yep. That um, side A closer.
2: Yep, side A clo- side A closer, but it, I believe Beat It's on side one. Am I not mistaken? What
0: It's on side two. Oh,
2: Wanna Be Starting Something is the starting track.
0: That is the starting track,
2: yep. you know? Um, so, you know, so front loading it or even just like, um, do y'all remember a band called the Hooters from that time period? <laughs> Nervous Night, that, with album? you know, yes, we do. We
0: okay. had Eric Bazillion from the Hooters on last year.
2: Oh my God, what an honor. Um, yes. And we and we danced, one of the best songs of the 80s. Fantastic. I believe it was track one, side one. They knew what they had uh yes. in, in excess listen like thieves what you need first single first track on the album um let's see i mean the list of the 80s i i think it was just a matter of I, it was just a matter of bad sequencing you know but i'm saying
0: where he where i think where he thought this song belonged was buried on side two now the ARR guys they're like we hear the single and we like this, therefore we're going to release it. I, I don't know.
2: I, I, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Springsteen's call was to bury it. He doesn't want that to be the the highlight. I get what you're saying. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. However, if in the midst of the thing, the A and R people are already saying, we think Dancing in the Dark is going to be the lead single. At that point, the conversation somebody need if I was Springsteen, like if it was me and I wrote this song that I don't even really give a damn about. And I have all those other songs that like tie into what I was trying to say. And it's like, yeah. we want that to be the single anyway. We'll start side two off with it. Let me get back to what I was doing. Right. Boom. You know, yeah. yeah. either that or front load it and put it right before cover me Do born in the USA, go dance in the dark track two. And then the rest of the sequence would still work. Cause you got you got the two, You you got the opener and then you got Dance in the Dark right there off the top. Get it out of the way. But uh, putting it right before my hometown, that has always rubbed me wrong. That is always (laughs) listening to the record in sequence. That has always just been like the, man, you know, we were on such a great ride. And all of a sudden, somebody we've we let the asshole in the back decided what we were going to listen to on the radio. Great. You know, well,
0: you know what, despite how we might feel of this as being, you know, the outlier, um, the Grammy awards felt differently. He won his first Grammy for this for best male rock performance. I think it was, um, he beat out David Bowie for blue jean, Mm Billy Idol's Rebel Yell, Elton John's Restless, and Pink Houses from John Mellencamp.
2: Pink Houses is a better spring seed song than Dancing in the Dark. <laughs> there I said it. <laughs> like, like I would have given I would have given that award to either Pink Houses or uh, what was the first one you said again?
4: I'm Blue sorry. Jean.
2: And yeah, then, Blue, Blue Jean Blue from Jean. David
0: Bowie. Billy Idol's Rebel Yell.
2: Yeah, Rebel Yell better better rock song than Dancing in the Dark. Like to call sure. Dance, to call Dancing in the Dark a rock performance that is stretching <laughs> for a for a song that ain't got a single guitar track on it. I, I don't know. Proof Of course, the Grammys also gave a, a a metal Grammy to Jethro Tull. So what do I know? <laughs> yeah, they
0: I know they've had their I know.
1: Uh, but also, this ties in with what you opened with. This guy's had they've made seven records. You know and they haven't had any they have little to no commercial success so if the radio guy if the A&R guy says this is the single your his hands have got to be somewhat tied
2: oh sure but it, even at that point where they're like this is the single it'd be like okay well where do we put it on the record it seems like that would be right if if you're if you're sequencing a record i even when i've sequenced my own the question is like well, what are we giving to people to play first, you know? And, like, I remember when we did Lifers, I knew that the, the lead off track was going to be the single because that was the rocker, you know? I was like, that's the one I want people to, like, you know, kind of boogie to. And, you know, you just, you know, um, I, I think sequencing is an art, and, like, when you screw it up, the thing, the thing that I've always kind of looked at is my guidepost of, like, what not to do don't put your dancing in the dark before your my hometown. Like that's to me, this is one of the worst like mistakes in sequencing that I can think of. But I agree. But again, that might also be because I scored dancing in the dark very low, and I scored my hometown extremely high. So that
1: <laughs> that might have something to do with
2: it.
0: John, you gave dancing in the dark your two. I gave it a four. Wayne,
1: I gave it a five.
0: Okay. All right. One last thing I wanted to say. I just finished watching the, uh, the, the, the series Cougar Town.
1: Do you guys watch <laughs> Cougar Town? I'm
2: familiar with uh, it. That's the Courtney Cox show. Correct?
0: All right. So season one, episode 23, uh, the character Jules shows a picture of her dancing with Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. It's totally lifted from the video. <laughs> I, I, I love the shout out that they, that they did in that episode. So, there you go. If you guys are really diehard, um, love the video of her, you know, getting up with Bruce and dancing. And there was a nice, uh, nice callback on that on that episode. All right, um, let's wrap this up. This is uh, the seventh and last single from the album. This is my hometown. Mm.
4: Up a paper from my old man. Sit on his lap that big old butte Steer as we drove through town. Tassel my hair. Say something. Good looker.
0: peaked at number 6 on the uh, on the pop chart. You guys know what the B side is? Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa Claus is coming to town. One of my favorite Christmas tunes. All right. Um we all scored this high. We saved the best for last. This is a this is our top song based off of our scores. I gave this my 10.
2: Wayne.
1: I gave this my 11. I gave this my 12. This right.
2: is this is this is this was the top of the mountain for this record for me. And it's still of all the songs on this record, this is the one that when I hear it, I stop in my tracks. Like I, I the the sound of it, even though it's very synth heavy, after everything I just said about dancing in the dark, the way that it's used on this track, the 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 sound of his voice, the story he's telling, that man, just just the sound of this song will just, it may, It uh, makes me think of my dad. You know, that that's always what it goes back to. It just makes me think of like, you know, I never set up behind his wheel or anything like that. But like, you know, I'm real close with him. And this is like, this is one of those songs that's like, it's our song. And when I'm, even when I'm at work and they'll play this over the PA at my day job, you know, on the little music thing. As soon as I hear it, I'm just like, I need to call my dad, you know. It's that type of feeling, um, yeah. but, but also also just a great summation of the record because yeah. it, it's it's it goes back in a very in a very sentimental way, and in a very gentle way, it touches on the same things that he was angsty about in Born in the USA. Yeah. Main streets, whitewashed windows, and vacant stores. There ain't nobody wants to come around here no more. They're closing down the textile mill across the railroad tracks. These jobs are going, boys, and they ain't coming back. Everything is cyclical. Everything comes back around the way that it did before, unless we change it. And what a way to just so so beautifully tie that in. And uh, yeah, this song, this is Bruce at his best. One of the best on the record, one of the best of all time. Yeah.
0: Wayne, anything?
1: Well, I will say this, and I agree with all of that, but it is deeply personal for me because my, this was now remember this was the early seventies. My dad would put me on his lap in the, uh, it wasn't a Buick. It was a Plymouth and I would get to drive at, you know, I mean, it's so unsafe. There's no way I could have done it with my son. Um, We, I did was able to do it on a riding lawnmower uh, when I was mowing uh, my dad's field, but that, that feeling of uh, it's, yeah it makes me think of my dad absolutely and the way that he that he this does absolutely tie in with the beginning um you know this he's thinking back on this town that he grew up in and there's it's good and it's bad you know what the good the pleasant memories from when he was a kid riding in his dad's lap to the racial um parts of it uh, in this, in the '60s, so it's and then of course it's demise and its bleak future. It's uh, it is probably one of the best album closers of all time.
2: And just the just the sound of that, just the the basic, you know, you know. The, I mean, it's just so beautiful the way it plays out like that. I mean, and you just play that over and over and over again. And it just it sounds like home. It sounds like home to me.
0: Yeah.
2: Blows me away, you know?
0: All right. So, yeah, spoiler alert. This is our top song. Um, <laughs> any, any guesses on the rest of our top five? Because we were kind of all over on some songs.
2: I think well, you we think? gave sevens. Sevens right across the board to Darlington County. So. so
0: sevens keep it out of the top five, just so you know.
2: Oh, uh, yeah. I can't I can't do
1: math. Glory days Glory, has to be in there.
0: Yep. All right. So here's here's the top five. I already mentioned my hometown. So second with an average score of ten is I'm on fire. We've got mm-hmm. uh no surrender at third with an average score of nine. And then we have a tie for fourth. Which is Glory Days and Downbound Train, average score of 8.66. So that's fair. Bob, Bobby Jean and Darlington County just missed out on the top five.
2: Well, you know, I, I think uh, Downbound Train and Bobby Jean could almost be interchangeable for me as far as greatness. I'm, I'm glad the Downbound Train got its just due. So happy that that's there
0: all right so i always ask um did we cover everything did we miss anything
2: um
1: i think we did all right thanks to john
2: i (laughs) i I, I do have one quick closing statement about just born in the usa in general Please. and this is actually this is a question for y'all okay um it is definitely his most popular record okay so it brought a lot of people into the Springsteen fold, okay? But as a, as fans...
0: Brought me in.
2: Yeah, and as fans of... Uh, and it was my first, you know, it was the first thing that I heard of his because I was so young and it was so uh, prevalent when, when I was first recognizing what music was. Um, but would you say that, like... Just out of curiosity, would you say that because it was the most popular, would you say that this would be the one that, like, if somebody came up to you and said, "I've never heard Springsteen before," where would I start? Born around. With this, or with this. Born That's around. that's my answer too. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we're all we're all we're all the same mindset. So yeah, I don't I don't have to say anything else. I think I, I'm grateful that this record existed when it did. It's not my favorite Bruce Springsteen record, but I think it's great. It was the first time where the mythos of Springsteen finally found the audience that was as big as the mythos. And, uh, you know, I'm grateful that that happened so that we could have everything, that, that Springsteen became a name that you could say to pretty much anyone. And they know who you're talking about. Yeah. It used to be that way before this record. This was this was what made him a household name. And I'm grateful for that. Um, because it it, you know, it basically bankrolled everything else he'd ever want to do.
0: Yep.
2: And uh, I'm glad he's still doing it. So there's that.
0: For sure. He's the boss. Yep. He's the boss. All right. Um, you know how I was complaining about editing Two hour plus episodes. <laughs> How do we do? You sent the bitches, made me do another two hour episode. So thanks a lot. Appreciate that.
2: Well, you know, Spring, Springsteen plays for four hours, so we can keep going if you want. No, we're yeah. we're good. We're gonna
0: wrap this up. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, John, tell tell people where they can find all your happenings.
2: Uh, you can follow me on all the social medias. You can find me at John Latham on Facebook, uh, John Latham picks P I C S on Instagram, the John Latham on Twitter. Um, you can find out information about me and my other friends at Cafe Rooster Records at Cafe Rooster Records.com. Um, and, uh, you can search for me on Spotify. If you want to hear my stuff there, um, look me up, uh, on the on the social medias and stuff there will also be uh, uh schedules and itineraries for upcoming shows so uh, yeah just all of that social media stuff that i just said to be redundant so perfect. there you have it
0: perfect all right last question i threw this out to the andrews which is why you're on here so <laughs> who, who do you know that i don't know that would want to come on our podcast to talk about one of their favorite records
2: Ooh. um Let's see, someone who's as nerdy as me and Andrew Leahy and Andrew Nelson. Ooh, there's, man, you know, everyone in Nashville hates music so much. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, you, know what I, you know what I would tell you? I would tell you this, and you'd have to pick the right record for it, but there's one there's one lady I know that would be amazing for it. Um, her name's India Ramey. She's a great, great Americana singer songwriter, very country. She's from Alabama. She used to be a beauty contestant, and she's and she's awesome. Uh, she's a diehard Tragically Hip fan. So if y'all uh, to cover, if y'all want to cover a Tragically Hip record and add that to your pantheon of great albums that you've done, I can't think of a better person to bring on than India Raimi. Um perhaps if you want to go down the down the rabbit hole of albums by John Prine, uh my friend Darren Bradbury, who co-wrote Kimberly Met Billy with me that you liked so much.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Um he's he's a big Prine fanatic. He also knows a whole lot about Bob Dylan. Um they're wonderful, wonderful people to talk to about that. Okay. Um those are just two names that come up to the top of my head for me.
0: All right. We'll we'll chat offline. All right. Uh As far as our socials go, you can find me at Podcast Records on Twitter, Facebook, Records Revisited Podcast. Just search for that. And then Wayne, he's on the Instagram. What you got there?
1: Records Revisited Podcast.
0: Pretty simple. And, of course, don't forget to join our Patreon to get episodes a week early. I feel bad for our Patreon folks right now, Wayne, because I'm I'm behind on giving them early content because I got I got three episodes, now a fourth episode to finish editing. So um it's coming guys. Yep. I pro- I promise. I promise. I'll get to work. Um luckily we, we're not recording on Saturday. So guess what I'm gonna be doing? All right. Go. Uh and then uh of course make sure that um you join our Patreon because if you join at the guest revisitor level you could join us on an episode to talk about one of your favorite records. Just So just go to
1: no matter how many songs,
0: no matter how many songs we will force Wayne to talk about 18 songs,
1: Hank Williams, greatest 40 hits. Uh, 40 greatest
0: hits. That's where we, that's where we, where, where we draw the line, John, we draw the line on that.
2: Oh, so, so, so it's totally out for me to say, let's get back together and do a Bruce Springsteen live 1975, 85 box set. Okay. <laughs> that's <fine.
4: laughs> Maybe if we,
0: maybe if we, we dedicate an entire month to do it and we just break it up. In a,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: We're going to do side one on, you know, first week and yeah, we, yeah. I
2: love you guys. You You guys are fun. This is, this was a great time. And thank you all for, Thank you all for having me. Yeah. I love I love talking about records. So this yeah. was just this is a joy. Thank um, you for indulging. Me. This
0: was a blast. All right. Let me let me wrap this up. Um, so thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. Go to a live show, buy a t-shirt of the band, visit a record store, and not just on record store day, we are records revisited and we are out. out.